The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Just wait till your Congress gets home. Welcome to my weekly report for Thursday, September 5th, 2019. Thank you for listening to this independent news, which appreciates your support through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. The climate crisis and the gun violence epidemic would be highly appropriate lead stories at any news outlet were it not for the man who's made both of those concerns more grave. As it is, he insists on being the lead, and so he shall be for now. As it is, our top story remains the unfitness of the man who occupies the White House because of his influence over both the protection of our children and the protection of the planet. Between rounds of golf as a hurricane approached the U.S., Trump dropped in at FEMA headquarters, the Federal Emergency Management Agency that would deal with the aftermath. It was there that Trump declared, I'm not sure if I've even heard of a Category 5. A Category 5 is something that I don't know that we've even heard the term other than I know it's there. It was one occasion upon which the president was not lying. He had no reason to lie about this. No one, not even he, would lie about whether or not they had ever heard of a Cat 5 hurricane. That leaves only one other frightening explanation. The president is mentally unfit, period, full stop. Because not only has he heard of a Category 5 hurricane, four of them have hit the U.S. during his presidency, Irma, Maria, Michael, and Dorian. But wait, there's more. The president appears to have genuine difficulty in remembering even the most significant things. He even said the same thing earlier this year, on May 8, 2019. In his first year in office, Trump said it six times that he'd never heard of a Category 5 hurricane. In 2017, he said it twice on September 14th, again on September 21st and 26th, and two more times the following month on October 3rd and 19th when he said nobody has ever heard of a five hitting land. It would appear that every time Trump hears of a Category 5 hurricane, he publicly declares that he's never heard of such a thing before. This is the eighth time he's said it that we know of. On Sunday, Trump tweeted that Alabama was among the states most likely to be hit hard by Hurricane Dorian. A president who knew U.S. geography would know Alabama is a four-hour drive from the East Coast, and although Alabama is susceptible to Gulf hurricanes, Dorian was in the Atlantic Ocean, not the Gulf, and was never never in the official forecast as a target of the storm. The National Weather Service had no choice but to issue a special statement correcting the president. A little something for the history books. Government forecasters correct the president. But as usual, Trump doubled down on wrong, showing reporters a map that he'd altered with a Sharpie to back up his claim that Alabama was also in danger, which it was not. He was showing reporters a map that was five days old from before the hurricane changed course. By the time Trump showed reporters his Sharpie altered map, the storm had already made its right turn up the coast. Trump was giving Americans what the White House called a hurricane update with a faked weather report. And that's highly illegal. It is a felony to issue a false weather statement and to attribute it to the National Weather Service. But Trump did it to cover for his geography blunder. Over the past two and a half years, the president has struggled to explain various hurricanes to the American people using terms including big, wet, windy, and not good. 
This from the man with the nuclear codes, who thought we should perhaps use nuclear weapons against hurricanes. This from the man who should be leading us out of man-made climate change. Yeah, he's fine. We're all fine. Congress returns from its six-week summer vacation next week. When Ronald Reagan was president, he had a tendency to make gaffes and wander off message, especially later in his presidency. His chief of staff had a clever solution for those moments in which reporters would wait anxiously around the helicopter Reagan was about to board. On orders from Reagan's chief of staff, the pilot of Marine One would rev the engine, leaving the president unable to hear reporters' questions. Their mics would pick up Reagan shouting something pleasant and usually uncontroversial, while he made a hand-to-ear motion indicating he couldn't hear them. The engines on Marine One do not rev these days. They idle while this president uses the noise to avoid certain questions while addressing the ones that come from faces he recognizes from TV. The noise also spares him from having to try to say anything of substance and makes it easier to avoid details. He avoids not just unpleasant questions, but questions that are, to any degree, complicated. Over the noise, reporters shout the kinds of questions they used to ask at press briefings in a room not far from the driveway where Trump holds court as he walks from the Oval Office to the presidential helicopter. But there have been no White House press briefings since the departure of Sarah Sanders six months ago, and they had become rare even before that. The new press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, shows no interest in having them either because this president likes to do his own talking. And he does like to talk. A statistician at CBS News says Trump has stopped to talk to reporters some 205 times while holding only two press conferences. President Reagan had a press secretary who held daily news briefings and a chief of staff protecting his boss with helicopter noise. Donald Trump has neither. What we get instead is what comedian Stephen Colbert calls chopper talk. Our national intelligence officials and thinking Americans are concerned about Trump's judgment, specifically his handling of classified material. Commercial satellites had already revealed that there was an explosion last Thursday at a facility in Iran that launches rockets that carry satellites. It was the third failed rocket launch in a row for Iran, and speculation began that the U.S. had sabotaged these rockets. Iran never specifically made that accusation. But in response to the rumors, Trump tweeted a classified photo from a U.S. spy satellite with a much closer, more detailed view of the explosion than the commercial satellites had provided. Amateur astronomers were able to use the data from that photo to show that it was taken by USA-224, a high-powered satellite launched from Vandenberg Air Force Base in 2011. They determined the satellite was made by Lockheed Martin for reconnaissance purposes and works like a telescope pointed at Earth instead of the stars. They were also able to determine what time of day the photo was taken, 2.14 p.m. If amateurs can do it, Iran can do it, North Korea can do it, China can do it, and so can Russia. The photo tweeted by Trump reveals U.S. spy satellite capabilities. And Trump used that photo to taunt Iran, tweeting, I wish Iran best wishes and good luck in determining what happened. Presidents have released classified photos before, but this one seemed to have only one purpose, to heckle Iran. What could possibly go wrong? 
Trump's unfitness to remain in the Oval Office another hour is reflected not just in his intellectual level, but in his overt acts of corruption. As reported last week, Trump recently told his aides that he wants his border wall built by Election Day 2020 and that if they have to break the law to get it done, he would pardon them. The president at that point was not just offering pardons. He was offering pardons as bribes to government officials to get them to break the law to make his dream come true. Bribery of a federal official is a very serious crime. The U.S. Criminal Code describes bribery as involving anything of value. And when you have broken the law, few things are more valuable than a pardon. Pardons as bribes constitute compound corruption, aggravated corruption, corruption with a side of corruption. It's the kind of corruption that's perfectly suited for impeachment hearings. And if the rule of law holds up, It's also suited for criminal proceedings against Donald Trump once he is no longer in that Oval Office. Of course, this is not Trump's first time to consider pardons for those who do his bidding. As Robert Mueller reported, the president also offered pardons to Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen in apparent obstructions of justice. So this fodder for Trump's impeachment and prosecution as a private citizen are nothing new. We learned of those dangled pardons four months ago. Congress returns from vacation next week, and the House has already subpoenaed Homeland Security documents related to Trump's reported offer of those pardons. Impeachment could backfire if, as expected, it goes nowhere in the Senate and the president predictably declares he's been exonerated again. At the same time, the need for that process has never been more clear, except in the Republican-controlled Senate, where they stand by their man no matter how crazy he seems or how cruel he gets. That's left Democrats to deal with the nation's symptoms, climate change, gun violence, and a cruel immigration system, instead of dealing with the man who's made all of those things worse. There is a movement toward impeachment, however slowly, Court cases that have crept through the courts over the summer recess will give the House more evidence which it hopes the Republican Senate will no longer be able to ignore. The hearings and investigations will continue. And while we wait, the list grows of House members who favor impeaching the president. It's now up to at least 134, 135 if you count the Republican who recently became an independent. That 135 certainly represents a majority of the 235 members of the House. Scores of House Democrats are resisting any urge to impeach, though, and some believe their political careers would end if they were to favor it. When Michigan Democrat Haley Stevens went home for the summer recess, she, like other lawmakers, held a town meeting to hear from her constituents. Haley just barely won her seat in Congress in 2018 in a district that had voted Trump in 2016, so she's a Democrat who's still opposed to impeachment. She believes calling for that in her district would result in her certain defeat when she runs for a second term. Get rid of him, shouted one constituent at Haley Stevens Town Hall. Impeach him, demanded another. We have to get all the facts, she answered. In the meantime, she offered up vigorous oversight. Stevens is one of more than two dozen Democratic lawmakers who won in a Trump district and because of that are avoiding the I-word. Only two Democrats from districts Trump won in 2016 have bravely taken a stand for impeachment, Lauren Underwood of Illinois and Chris Pappas of New Hampshire. Never mind what the Senate might do later. Right now, it is House Democrats who stand in the way of impeachment hearings. 
and because she shares their political fears, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has their backs. The latest polls show that nearly 6 in 10 Americans oppose impeaching Trump at the moment, while barely over a third of us favor it. But Watergate showed us that public opinion changes after the impeachment hearings have begun. And a Roanoke College poll this week puts Trump's approval rating now at 27%. In the meantime, he's never heard of a Cat 5 hurricane. Again. This week, Mike Pence was off to Poland to commemorate the Nazi invasion of that Eastern European nation in World War II. Pence went in place of the president, who instead was watching the approaching hurricane between rounds of golf at his Virginia resort. The vice president had to be in Europe anyway for a series of meetings in Dublin, but he was commuting to Dublin from Trump's golf resort in Dunbeg, Ireland, which is three hours away by car instead of just staying in Dublin. The president and Mike Pence were each staying at Trump properties on taxpayer dimes that go into Trump's pockets. And Pence and his entourage were also using taxpayer money to fly back and forth from the resort that would make Trump a little extra cash. A Pence spokesman says the vice president stayed there because his family had come from that area and Trump had encouraged him to stay at the Dunbeg Resort. That Trump resort in Ireland has been, by the way, losing more than a million dollars a year for three years running. More corruption in plain sight. Congress returns from vacation next week. Trump, meanwhile, congratulated Poland when asked for a comment by reporters. It was really more of a day of solemn remembrance of the millions of Poles who suffered and died at the start of World War II. Congratulations, Poland. And then another round of golf. When Congress does return on Monday, House Democrats plan to call witnesses connected to the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. They're likely to call former National Enquirer publisher David Pecker, which made the McDougal payments, among others. This is important because it is for this campaign finance violation that former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen is now in prison, and Cohen has told Congress that Trump was part of that payoff process. House Democrats hope to pick up where the federal investigation of these payments left off when that investigation pointed to Trump as individual one. They also plan to investigate why the Justice Department stopped that investigation. And the hush money hearings will lay all of this out on television for the American public and for the Republican Senate. They hope to shine a spotlight on Trump's denials of any knowledge of these payments, including a denial on Air Force One. Democrats believe there's already enough evidence to name Trump as a co-conspirator in these crimes, one now of six clear, impeachable offenses by this president. Whether they're called impeachment hearings is another matter. The Manhattan District Attorney is also investigating those payments to see if the Trump Organization falsified any financial documents to cover those payoffs. Police in Minnesota are still looking for the gunman who shot three people outside the state fairgrounds on Monday. The Labor Day shooting at the nation's second biggest state fair sent the crowd scrambling, but the three young adults who were wounded are expected to survive. Friday night, 10 people were wounded in a shooting at a high school football game in Mobile, Alabama. The victims were between the ages of 15 and 18. They all survived. 
a 17-year-old was charged with multiple counts of attempted murder. In our latest deadly mass shooting, seven people were killed and 22 others wounded in a 10-mile stretch from Odessa, Texas to a movie theater in Midland, Texas, where the gunman apparently intended to shoot even more people inside. Among the wounded, three police officers and a 17-month-old baby girl. The gunman was ultimately killed, so his motive isn't known, except that he'd been stopped for a traffic violation just hours after getting fired from his job. He was not counted among the victims and will not be identified here. It happened less than a month after a gun slaughter in El Paso that killed 22 people. In both assaults, the gunman was a white man with an AR-15 assault rifle. AR-15s have been used in most of our gun massacres. Aurora, Columbine, Dayton, El Paso, Las Vegas, Odessa, Orlando, Parkland, San Bernardino, and San Isidro. Texas had its own school shooting in 2016 and that same year a sniper attack on police officers. In 2017, 26 people were killed by a gunman at a Baptist church in Texas. But it is now legal in Texas to take your gun to church as part of new laws that went into effect Sunday, the day after the state's latest mass shooting. While other states have passed laws aimed at reducing violence, the Lone Star State's going a different way and with most unfortunate timing. The day after seven were killed and 22 wounded in West Texas, a new set of laws was enacted, making it easier to be armed. There are eight new laws in Texas specifically that allow guns in churches, schools, and foster homes on a property that a person rents or leases, no matter what the owner says, and just about anywhere during a disaster. Another new law says gun toters have a legal defense if they enter a place where guns are banned but leave the premises when asked to do so. Texas has no permits, registration, licensing, or background checks. You don't even need a license to open carry a rifle. And, of course, no restrictions on assault weapons. What Texas has is a robust funeral business this week in the wake of one mass shooting after another. Just in the month of August, at least 53 people were killed by gunfire in a mass shooting in the U.S. Since the first of the year, there have been at least 283 mass shootings. Quoting presidential not-so-hopeful Beto O'Rourke, no other country comes close. This is effed up. Congress returns from vacation next week. Nearly a month had passed since the last gun massacre, and with Congress not in session, Republican lawmakers backed by the NRA hoped the issue would fade, as it always has. But then a new mass shooting, barely a week before the lawmakers' return, brought the issue barreling back into the spotlight. There have been talks during this break involving the White House and members from both parties in Congress. Republicans say they want red flag laws, blaming the problem not on the availability of AR-15s, but on mental illness. Democrats want, besides a return of the assault weapons ban, limits on ammunition magazines, expanded background checks, and longer cooling off periods for gun buyers. The two sides have been struggling for a middle ground when perhaps there isn't one. A Twitter account that sometimes speaks for House Leader Nancy Pelosi wrote Friday, gun violence requires immediate action, but Mitch McConnell is refusing to help. The hashtag nickname Massacre Mitch continued to occupy Twitter. 
Gun control doesn't work. Look at Chicago, tweeted Ted Cruz, the Republican senator from Texas. Chicago is riddled with gun violence, despite having some of the toughest gun laws in the nation. But Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, a Democrat, pointed out the flaws in Cruz's logic and put the blame back on his party for blocking universal background checks and a ban on assault weapons. Chicago's guns come from Indiana, where gun laws are very lax. And it's just a short car trip from Chicago to Indiana. Walmart, meanwhile, did something. For all there is to be said about the Walmart empire, and there is plenty, it did something this week on the subject of guns, something surprisingly bold for a store that sells guns and ammo. More important, however, is what Walmart said. What it did was announce that once the current inventory is gone, Walmart will no longer sell ammunition for assault rifles or handguns, and that it would stop selling handguns at its Alaska stores, which were the only stores in the chain still selling them. Walmart also asked its customers not to bring guns of any kind into their stores, including states in which open carry is legal. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan wrote, and these are the important words in the company's statement, As we've seen before, these horrific events occur and then the spotlight fades. We should not allow that to happen. Congress and the administration should act, end quote. Walmart says Congress and the administration should act. The NRA response was especially snippy. Quote, it is shameful to see Walmart succumb to the pressure of the anti-gun elites. The NRA said Walmart would lose business over this when, in fact, guns and ammo are just 2% of Walmart's sales. The NRA is hoping that we won't notice the public opinion polls that show 9 out of 10 Americans and a majority of the NRA's own members support universal background checks and other common-sense gun laws. Kroger and other store chains quickly announced they, too, were asking customers not to bring in their guns. So, although this nation's government hasn't moved a fraction of an inch on gun policy, the nation is beginning to change the policy without the help of the U.S. government. The prices we pay for TVs, diapers, shoes, and other stuff imported from China will go up soon when it's time for stores to restock. Because on Sunday, on Trump's orders, the U.S. raised tariffs on clothing, Bluetooth earbuds, golf clubs, fishing line, and writing instruments, pencils and pens, as the kids head back to school. Experts say we will see increases in the price of these things because of a new tax that isn't itemized on your receipt. It's a hidden tax from Trump's trade war that American consumers will pay through higher prices. Another round of Trump tariff hikes go into effect on October 1st on $250 billion in Chinese goods right at the start of the holiday season. Trump's tariffs have naturally prompted a response from China with its own new tariffs on $75 billion in American goods. That will also not show up on your register receipt, just the higher prices. The president, meanwhile, continues to waffle on a tax cut for capital gains, mostly benefiting the rich, as the White House looks for ways to get around Congress to do it. Constitutionally, Congress passes tax laws. Trump has also waffled on a cut in payroll taxes, never offering an explanation of where the money would come from. 
For nearly a month, immigrants afflicted with life-threatening ailments and their families have lived in fear and panic. They had been protected from deportation by a deferral the U.S. grants to people with life-threatening conditions. But on August 2nd, the Trump administration's Citizenship and Immigration Service started sending out letters to sick and dying people to the families of kids with cancer, telling them they had 33 days to get out of the country. Because some of the letters were delayed, the sick migrants were sometimes getting as little as two weeks' notice to make other medical arrangements. For many of the affected, it was a death sentence. Because treatment for their diseases is only available in the U.S., or at least not available in the countries to which they would be returned. In some cases, the ill immigrants were here by invitation, invited here to take part in clinical trials of treatments that could save the lives of a lot of Americans. Thanks to 24-year-old Guatemalan Maria Bueso, who's been getting treated here for the past 14 years, the FDA approved a medication for people with her condition that adds 10 years to their lifespans, to the lifespans of America. She has won awards for her advocacy for people with rare diseases, and she has testified for both state and national lawmakers. Her parents and private insurance have paid for her treatments, not the taxpayers. And she was, until Monday, sentenced to die in her home country where the treatment that's kept her alive long past her life expectancy is not available. But the sick and dying, kids included, were being told to pack up their IVs and their oxygen bottles and their wheelchairs and get out. Like a number of Americans, five-year-old Jonathan Sanchez has short bowel syndrome and will die if he's sent back to Honduras, even though he, like the others, are here legally. The same is true for about 20 kids with cerebral palsy, cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, epilepsy, HIV, and cancer. There was no public announcement of this cruel change in policy. Who would brag about a thing like that? Word got out, though, as some of the recipients of that immigration letter notified their lawyers, who then notified reporters. A few media outlets, starting with local media, began reporting on this latest outrage, and the story by late last week had spread to mainstream media. Members of Congress began to put pressure on ICE and Homeland Security to reverse this unconscionable decision, calling an emergency hearing for this Friday vacation or not. And 127 House Democrats signed a letter demanding answers about whose idea this was and why this policy of deporting sick kids who are here legally and often by invitation was implemented. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden declared, cruelty is the point. It's their only point. It's all they have to run on. Fear, anger, division, and cruelty. Other leading Democratic candidates spoke up as well. And Democratic Senator Ed Markey said this is a new low. Donald Trump is literally deporting kids with cancer. On Monday of this week, the Trump administration announced it would reconsider its decision to send these people to their certain deaths. It says the people who got these 33-day notice letters will be allowed to stay for now. But the Trump administration makes no promises about future cases either. The administration also, you'll recall, announced it was ending its deplorable family separation policy. But the family separations continue to this day in spite of that declaration and in spite of court orders that it stopped. 
A government watchdog agency reports that migrant children separated from their families and detained by immigration officials are now suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome. That report out yesterday. Congress returns from vacation next week. This week, Trump's defense secretary, Mark Esper, took money from 127 military construction projects to give Trump more than $3.5 billion to build his border wall. It's money Trump demanded in his presidential declaration of an official emergency at the border. That $3.5 billion will now be spent on building 175 miles of new and reconstructed wall. The military construction projects that are being robbed to pay for Trump's vanity project include work at Joint Base Andrews, Fort Meade, Fort Bragg, Camp Lejeune, and the U.S. Military Academy. Except in emergencies, only Congress has the power to spend the taxpayer's dollar, and it was Congress that authorized those now-canceled military construction projects. That's where Congress wanted the money to go. In fact, the bill that funded those projects includes language that prohibits that money from being used to build a border wall. The money was supposed to go for, among other things, providing for the families of our service members, including the education of their children. House and Senate Democrats plan to address that when they get back from vacation next week, along with Trump's reported instruction to aides to get the wall built by Election Day 2020 and that he would pardon them if they broke the law getting it done. Also among the projects being cut in favor of Trump's wall, the recovery effort in Puerto Rico from Hurricane Maria. That recovery effort will now be shorted by $400 million. As Trump sees it, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just, quote, likes testing missiles. Trump has repeatedly played down the 18 missiles Kim has launched over this summer, calling the test launches very standard. Nothing to see here is the impression we get from the American president, but American intelligence officials strongly disagree. While Trump has played off the missiles as short-range, they are increasing in both range and maneuverability. As recently as two years ago, North Korea's missile launches were failures. Today, they are not. Intelligence experts are concerned that Kim is getting very close to being able to overwhelm the U.S. military strength in that region. Armed with American technology, Japan says it feels vulnerable now to Kim's abilities on the ground and at sea. North Korea has introduced three new kinds of missiles this summer that fly low and fast, making defense against them much more difficult. Some have been designed to be launched from mobile platforms, others made to easily hide in the mountains. Kim's Russian-designed arsenal is now considered an increasing threat to Japan, South Korea, and at least eight U.S. military installations in that area. Experts say Kim's missiles could easily carry nuclear warheads, and it's just a matter of time until the North Korean technology behind this summer's missile tests can be used in longer-range missiles. Trump, however, remains focused on his relationship with Kim Jong-un, who last month sent Trump another, in the president's words, really beautiful letter. Now the bickering continues between Trump and Fox News. Fox isn't working for us anymore, Trump angrily tweeted to his 62 million followers, telling them, we have to start looking for a new news outlet. We don't work for you responded anchor Neil Cavuto, becoming the latest at Fox to snap at the president after he'd taken swipes at what was once his favorite channel. 
Earlier in the week, Fox host Britt Hume reminded Trump that Fox is not an extension of his administration. Last month, it was Fox host Brett Baer countering Trump's claim that Fox had changed. Fox has not changed, insisted Baer, after Trump discounted the network's polling in the presidential race, adding, we have a news side and we have an opinion side. Opinion folks express their opinions. We do polls. But Cavuto went even further, listing the president's lies for Fox viewers. I'm not the one who said Mexico would pay for the wall, said Cavuto, adding, I'm not the one who claimed Russia didn't meddle in the 2016 election. He even brought up Stormy Daniels, and yes, that was on the Fox News Channel. Cavuto reminded Trump that fake news is news that's wrong, not news that is simply unpleasant for him, that Trump is entitled not to a free pass, but to a free press. Fox legal analyst Andrew Napolitano says Trump has violated the Constitution's separation of powers three times just in the past week, continuing what Napolitano calls a dangerous trend. Is the honeymoon over between Trump and Fox News? Probably not. Fox viewers will not leave their favorite channel and will not find Trump's new channel. And Trump cannot live without Fox, even if Fox can live without Trump. So the honeymoon is probably not over, really. But mommy and daddy are fighting. With Americans so politically divided, so set in their views, and with our electoral college system, the 2020 presidential election could be decided by just four states this time. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida. Some analysts say the next president could even be chosen by just one state, Wisconsin, where the Democrats will hold their nominating convention next summer. Not too long ago, a dozen states would be in play to decide a presidential race. But with demographic shifts and the political division accelerated by Trump, combined with our electoral college system, these have all narrowed the path to victory to about four states. California, Illinois, and New Jersey are no longer up for grabs. They've all gone blue. Virginia and Colorado are now a bluish purple. Democrats now have their sights set on other states on the brink of turning blue. Arizona, Georgia, and North Carolina. Ohio and Missouri are no longer in play as battleground states. They're solidly red now. For the first time in a long time, Ohio is not a player. It appears that Trump can only win re-election at this point if he expands his base something he has not even attempted to do during his time in office. Instead, he's played exclusively to his base and not to the voters who will decide the next election. The U.S. Supreme Court recently ruled that federal courts had no business getting involved in gerrymandering cases. But it didn't say the state courts couldn't get involved. In one of our most divided states, North Carolina, a three-judge state court has ruled that the legislative district maps drawn up by the ruling Republicans is unconstitutionally partisan. This is a huge victory for Democrats and voting rights groups, and it could increase the Democrats' chances in 2020 in North Carolina. And it is a big defeat for Republicans, who will now have two weeks to draw up a map the court will accept. At the state level, Republicans have over the years increasingly use gerrymandering as a means to get a majority membership in their state legislatures without winning a majority of the votes. 
The news keeps getting more encouraging for Democrats hoping to win control of the Senate in 2020. The party only needs to win four seats in that election to get a 51 to 49 majority in the Senate, but it only needs three seats to get a tie that could be broken by a Democratic vice president. Meanwhile, the number of seats Republicans have to defend in 2020 is growing thanks to sitting senators bailing out for various reasons. Their retirements and the departures of those sitting Republicans, however, does not mean it will be easy for Democrats to win those seats. Democrats believe they can grab those three seats in Arizona, Colorado, and Maine. Democrats are not so sure they can grab a fourth seat, but the election is still 14 months away, and there are now two seats open in the vulnerable state of Georgia. Unlike the presidential race, at least a half dozen states are battlegrounds for the Senate race in 2020. In the meantime, Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell says he would be happy to confirm another conservative justice even during the 2020 election year. McConnell refused to even consider an Obama nominee in 2016, giving it's an election year as his excuse. Not only has Ruth Bader Ginsburg's work on the Supreme Court not been sidelined by her four battles with cancer and a set of broken ribs, she says it's the work that keeps her going with one lung at age 86. After three weeks of radiation therapy for the latest cancer, a malignant tumor on her pancreas, RBG was back in the public eye this week and without missing a beat. The Librarian of Congress, Carla Hayden, said to Ginsburg, You've been called the Beyonce of jurisprudence. I'd rather you said the J-Lo, said Ginsburg. Jennifer Lopez and husband Alex Rodriguez had recently visited the justice and asked her for the secret to a long and happy marriage. It helps sometimes, said Ginsburg, to be a little deaf. RBG says the same principle applies at work, quoting her, if an unkind or thoughtless word is said, you just tune out. Ginsburg told an adoring crowd of 4,000 on Saturday that she is on her way to being very well. The East Coast is being pummeled by another deadly billion-dollar storm. After growing in size and regaining strength, now once again a Category 3, Dorian left the Florida coast and moved north to Georgia and the Carolinas, where it's expected to make landfall tomorrow with a triple threat of destructive winds, flooding rains, and life-threatening storm surges. They were expecting the water in Charleston Harbor to rise by more than 10 feet this morning, flooding its downtown area. The ocean could rise more than 11 feet on picturesque Savannah, Georgia. In northern Florida, waves from 15 feet. Jacksonville evacuated more than a quarter million people ahead of Hurricane Dorian's arrival. Charleston, South Carolina, floods even on sunny days nowadays, especially in our new climate, now 30 or 40 times a year. Sea levels are rising as the planet warms and hurricanes are stronger and much wetter. This one keeps going and keeps growing in size. By Monday morning, Dorian the second strongest hurricane in the recorded history of the Atlantic Ocean is expected to be history. Dorian did maybe a billion dollars damage in the Bahamas Tuesday, where it stalled for two days before heading for the U.S. mainland as a weaker but bigger storm at the time. It has since regained strength. Nearly half the island's homes were underwater as boats and shipping containers floated to what was once considered inland. 
Entire neighborhoods have been reduced to debris fields between the rising ocean and the 220-mile-an-hour winds. The death toll in the Bahamas is 20 and rising. The U.S. has deployed thousands of soldiers, including National Guard troops, to offer medical services and help with planning and engineering. Mainly, they'll try to reopen the airports so that much-needed aid can be flown in. The storm certainly brought them out of the woodwork, them being a presidential candidate and a sitting president. Here's Salon.com's Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. Wednesday was a banner day for Marianne Williamson. With two unfortunate tweets, she nearly surpassed Donald Trump's nincompoopery about Hurricane Dorian, an accomplishment that's nearly unsurpassed since 2015, given how no one tops Trump on the nincompoopery scale. Quick word about Trump first. The president's delicate ego is clearly in a state of red alert after much of the nation laughed in his bulbous face for suggesting a few days ago that Dorian was a threat to Alabama. Consequently, Trump appeared on video from the Oval Office on Wednesday, not to update us on the hurricane's current path, but rather to show us a map featuring the trajectory of the hurricane five days ago. Not only was it the old outdated model showing the path crossing the Florida Peninsula, but there was a mysterious additional line drawn in Sharpie marker at the westernmost tip showing a phony cone extending into Alabama. Trump probably drew the additional bulge himself, given his love of Sharpies. It was yet another glaringly obvious display of Trump's pathetic insecurity, overlooking foolish and illegitimate. The president is so brittle, his ego so frail and easily dinged, that he couldn't let go of the Alabama gaffe, overcompensating with such vigor that it called to mind his desperate obsession with his inaugural crowd size. Even the chief meteorologist from Fox News, Janice Dean, scolded Trump on Twitter, writing, quote, Alabama was never in the official cone. The Sharpie bubble was drawn by someone else. This map is inaccurate, misleading, and fake, unquote. When Fox News calls you fake news, you're doing something very, very wrong. In all seriousness, the president lied to the nation about the path of a catastrophic weather system twice, once when he originally tweeted about the storm and again with his ludicrous Sharpie map. All told, you'd have to be pretty goddamn ridiculous to outflank Trump on his hurricane lies, but Democratic presidential hobbyist Marianne Williamson came really damn close. Early Wednesday, Williamson tweeted this, quote, The Bahamas, Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas may all be in our prayers now. Millions of us seeing Dorian turn away from land is not a wacky idea. It is a creative use of the power of the mind. Two minutes of prayer, visualization, meditation for those in the way of the storm. Yes, Williamson thinks prayer and positive thoughts change the path of the hurricane away from land, except the Bahamas, of course. It's important to repeat here that Williamson wants to be president. I'll circle back to this one. Someone, perhaps a campaign staffer, must have asked her to delete that tweet because that's exactly what happened not before it was captured and circulated on Twitter. It's a shame we didn't all think positive thoughts, suggesting that she'd drop out of the race because it'd spare the party a ton of embarrassment. Simply put, this species of madness needs to be banished from American politics forever. Earlier, I referred to Williamson as a presidential hobbyist. Among the thousands of lessons learned during the Trump crisis so far, perhaps the most important lesson is this. No more presidential hobbyists. 
Never again. No more dilettantes with zero governing experience, including CEOs, flailing chaos agents, celebrities, novices, or weirdos in general. Williamson, like Trump before her, is being propelled along by an equally amateurish cult following that, for some reason, digs her cockamamie ideas. Sorry, but people with great ideas are everywhere. There are thousands of people on social media alone with cool ideas about love and hurricanes and immigration and so forth. Those people, including Williamson, should start a podcast or a blog and stay away from serious governing, where they have zero practical experience. Incidentally, most of this can be repurposed for Andrew Yang, too. Thanks to villains like Karl Rove and Roger Ailes, too many Americans have been convinced that career politicians are the problem with government, when in fact, there are just about as many crooked politicians as there are in any other field. Donald Trump had zero experience in politics, and he's the most corrupt president in history. Thus, it's not the governing experience that needs to be weeded out. It's the bad seeds that need to be culled from the herd. The importance of governing experience in politics can't be downplayed. Experience makes the difference between the destruction of democratic norms and traditions and the appropriate use of those systems to build a more perfect union. Yet too many of us have decided that experience and expertise are the problems rather than the solutions. This would be like rejecting experienced surgeons because some of them screw up. I've said this before, but it deserves to be repeated. We'd never accept a surgeon with zero experience in surgery, a pilot with zero experience flying a jet. So why would we ever accept a president with zero governing experience? Why the hell then would anyone consider giving the nuclear codes to Williamson or Trump or Yang or any of the other fakers and tourists injecting themselves into the proceedings? The presidency is a monumentally difficult job, perhaps the toughest in the country, requiring the sharpest and most disciplined among us. It's not for rank amateurs who think it would be neat to sit behind the resolute desk, urging Americans to wish the climate crisis away with our thoughts, or pretending to have solutions to national issues because he or she watches cable news all day. The world isn't cable news. The government is a complicated arena. Let's once and for all draw a line and stop elevating candidates who think they know how to govern because they watched House of Cards. So let's raise our standards rather than lowering them to subterranean levels for the office of the presidency and hell, other offices as well. Our system is fragile and we can't endure more of this silliness from our national leadership. Everyone else, including Marianne Williamson and Donald Trump, should go and audition for Dancing with the Stars and leave the serious business of government to the serious people. And no, praying for that outcome won't make it happen. Ever. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Get more of Mr. Seska at Salon.com, his Patreon page, and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at BobSeska.com. He'll have a fresh show this afternoon. I join Bob on his Tuesday shows. Jelly on the Moon, You Are What You Eat, and Is This Your Monkey? In the final segment, after this. The average featured article in Rolling Stone magazine is 7,500 words long. The number of words in today's report over 9,400. The words come from me, but the news comes from a variety of reliable sources that charge rightfully for their services. There are computer expenses, software and server fees, websites and high-speed internet, and of course the care and feeding of professional broadcast quality equipment to make the show listenable. This newscast is free to you, but not free to make. 
If you'd like to contribute to this effort, please click on the PayPal Donate button on the upper right at buzzburbank.com or on your phone just below the title, Buzz Burbank News and Comment. And there's still a little Amazon button on my page. If you're shopping Amazon anyway, going through my page and bookmarking that does help. Whatever you do, whatever you've done, thank you. Trump administration rolls back Obama-era fill-in-the-blank. This time, it's the Obama-era rules making light bulbs more efficient. Less efficient light bulbs cost Americans an extra 100 bucks a year or so on their energy bills. The Trump rollback is expected to increase U.S. electricity use by 80 billion kilowatt hours, enough juice to light up all the homes in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. California's attorney general calls it a dim-witted move. Trump says LED light bulbs don't really save that much electricity when, in fact, they use 90% less than the incandescent bulbs he's protecting. You know who's clever? Joe Baelish. Joe got himself appointed as the Trump administration's assistant secretary for land and minerals management. He helped oversee the opening up of more Alaskan land to oil drilling. That work done, Joe is now leaving his Trump administration job overseeing Alaskan oil drilling to join a company that will now use this newly available land to drill for oil in Alaska. Three weeks after he left his job at the Interior Department, Energy Counselor Vince DeVito went to work for an offshore oil drilling company. And last summer, after Scott Pruitt left his job running the EPA, it was just a few short months before he became a consultant for a big coal mining company. There would seem to be a pattern here. Last week, I reported some very good news for America's barrier reef off the tip of Florida that scientists had found a way to grow coral in a lab to replace much of the coral we've lost to climate change and human activity. Such a discovery is desperately needed good news for the Great Barrier Reef off Australia. Its outlook had recently been downgraded from poor to very poor. Australian scientists are scrambling to remove the crown-of-thorns starfish that have overtaken the coral and cracking down on people who try to harvest coral, but there's little they can do about the warming ocean waters. But even the Australian scientists have found some good news in the discovery of nearly three dozen species of coral that can withstand extreme conditions. They found these corals in the nearby mangrove lagoons. These extreme corals, as they're being called, can withstand the warmer temperatures, higher acidity, and lower oxygen that the ocean is experiencing as the planet gets warmer. Well, never mind the green cheese. There's jelly on the moon. Actually, we don't know what it is, but on the dull, dry, and dusty moon, nothing glistens, or so it seemed, until a Chinese lunar rover got distracted by a shiny object. It turned out to be a weird gel-like substance that's a different color than the rest of our light gray moon. So the lunar rover has paused on its mission to try to figure out what this gelatin is and what it means. Stay tuned. The good news is your smart doorbell camera can show the police who broke into your house or stole your packages. The bad news is they can also see you and everyone else who comes and goes from your place. 
the Ring Doorbell Company is now offering the recorded footage from its customers' cameras to more than 400 police departments across the country. Ring does not share any live feeds with the police, and customers are allowed to opt out. Still, privacy advocates are concerned about police access to thousands and thousands of front doors. Cancer has now pulled ahead of heart disease as the number one killer in wealthier countries. More than twice as many people now die from cancer than from heart disease, which was once the number one killer. That's actually some good news in disguise. It demonstrates that real progress has been made in reducing the number of deaths from heart disease. Now on to cancer. A wide majority of Americans are intrigued by the use of CBD and marijuana to reduce their pain, to manage their pain. A new survey shows that more than two-thirds of us have used or would use either CBD, THC, or both. It's also 66% for Gen Xers and baby boomers. With millennials, it's 75%. The survey was done by anesthesiologists who say they're worried that we still lack research about the use of these compounds. As recently reported here, the DEA has finally granted permits to more researchers to legally study and grow marijuana. But the pain doctors are worried about the lack of quality control in today's marijuana and even the CBD products, of which none sold over the counter, have been approved by the FDA. With three in four of us believing CBD and THC are safer than opioids and with fewer side effects, public perception is not likely to change anytime soon. The pain specialists say they too have alternative therapies, including non-opioid drugs, nerve-blocking injections, radio wave and electrical stimulation, and physical therapy. Have a steak tonight with extra salt. The Trump administration has decided to mostly keep scientists out of setting the nation's nutritional guidelines. The Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Agriculture, under this president, have narrowed the research to put less emphasis on the foods that carry the greatest risks, salt, red meat, and processed foods. Since 1980, the government's dietary guidelines have been updated every five years. Those guidelines determine what's served through school lunch programs, which purchase $100 billion worth of food each year. And even though the amount of meat we eat is responsible for the clearing of the Amazon rainforest, these government agencies under Trump are refusing to factor that in to the next food pyramid. More science disregarded. Much of the research now being done is to be ignored under this administration, which prefers to curry favor with the food industry. Thirteen of the 20 members of this administration's nutrition committee have connections with the food industry, specifically the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the National Potato Council, Mars Candy, McDonald's, and Coca-Cola. 700,000 Americans die each year from a poor diet, according to the Center for Science and the Public Interest, and poor nutrition is still the number one cause of ill health in the U.S. And that brings us to the cautionary tale of a British boy who has, since high school, been very picky about what he eats. There were just certain textures he didn't like. He would eat French fries and potato chips, mainly that. He would occasionally eat white bread or slices of ham or sausage. That's about it. At 14, he made his first trip to a doctor, complaining of being just so tired. His height and weight were normal. His BMI was normal. 
The doc gave him B12 shots to maybe boost his energy. At age 15, he was back at the doctor's, complaining of failing hearing and eyesight. By age 17, today, he is completely blind. Doctors now say the vision damage is permanent, which they blame on poor diet. New research has made clear there is no single gene that makes a person gay. Research at the Broad Institute here in the U.S. did not study the genetics of other sexual identities or orientations. They were just looking for a single gay gene. They didn't find one. They did find five different genes that turned up more often in homosexuals than heterosexuals, but no single same-sex gene. Researchers are now looking at non-genetic factors, particularly the hormonal environment in the womb during fetal development. The researchers say the takeaway from their study is that sexuality is not black and white or even black and white and gray. It is, they conclude, an entire spectrum of sexual identity. A rainbow, as it were. As rough as the road has been toward a place in society for gay men and lesbians, it's been harder still for transgender people. At least 14% of transgender people surveyed say they have been pressured by a professional counselor to identify with their sex at birth. The professionals applying pressure to pursue this therapy include psychologists, counselors, and religious advisors. If that 14% is even close to correct, that's about 180,000 Americans being steered towards so-called conversion therapy. 180,000 people while state lawmakers claim that gender identity change doesn't happen in their state. In Wyoming, 25% of the transgendered people say they were pushed in the direction of conversion therapy. Research shows the so-called therapy is most commonly promoted out west. Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota, Nevada, Oklahoma, and Utah, flanked by Alaska and West Virginia. 2015 research found that the transgender individuals who underwent conversion therapy attempted suicide at more than twice the rate of those who did not. The head researcher says parents need to keep an open mind and be supportive. Remind them, he says, that you love them no matter what. Conversion therapy is now illegal in 18 states and the District of Columbia. A South Carolina man named McCray Game is the founder of a Christian-based conversion therapy program. And this week, he apologized for that. Game says he is now very, very sorry for the harm he has caused with his therapy. And he's come out as gay. He is not the first conversion therapist to do so. At least a dozen others have done the same. Game's Hope for Wellness Center has no comment. He says his wife has been ridiculously understanding. I was a religious zealot that hurt people, he says, adding, this very harmful cycle of self-shame and condemnation has to stop. Participants in a so-called straight pride parade ended their march at Boston City Hall. A few hundred supporters turned out for it. So did a thousand protesters. The protesters shouted things like, Nazi scum, which may have only been a mild exaggeration. The straight pride marchers carried don't tread on me flags and signs including Trump built the wall. This is the straight pride parade. Some were reportedly members of white supremacist groups. The parade's grand marshal was conservative gadfly Milo Yiannopoulos. 
And although the organizers of the straight pride parade say they are not anti-LGBTQ, you would not have known it from the speeches once they got to City Hall. Live and learn. After the arrangements had already been made, an interracial couple in Mississippi found out they were no longer welcome at the Boone's Camp event hall for their ceremony. It had been canceled. The woman who owns the venue was caught on cell phone video explaining, we don't do gay weddings or mixed race. Why not, she was asked by the sister of the man getting married. Because of our Christian race, said the owner, quickly modifying it to, I mean, our Christian beliefs. By law, in Mississippi, it is illegal to deny services to LGBT people for religious reasons, but Mississippi law does not give that pass to racial discrimination. Thanks to that video, the venue owner took a verbal beating on social media, but it was a conversation with her husband that evening that began to make her rethink her policy. Her husband asked her to show him in the Bible where it says people of different races shouldn't marry. She couldn't find such a passage. She checked with her pastor. Sure enough, there isn't one. What I thought was supported by the Bible was incorrect, wrote the woman, adding, I have for many years stood firm on my Christian faith, not knowing that biracial relationships were never mentioned in the Bible. She blames growing up in the Old South. Growing up in Mississippi, she said, our racial boundaries were staying within your own race. That was never verbally spoken, she says, but it was understood. This venue owner has now apologized publicly for, quote, my ignorance. Baby steps. There will be no Harry Potter books on the shelves of the library at the St. Edward Catholic School in Nashville. It is the only school in the diocese that has made this move. The school pastor was worried about what heresies the students might pick up from the Harry Potter stories. The pastor also believes that Lady Gaga has fibromyalgia because she, quote, made a pact with the devil for fame. So this pastor principal has now removed the Potter book, saying these books present magic as both good and evil, which is not true. The curses and spells in the book are actual curses and spells which risk conjuring evil spirits into the person reading the text, he says. The pastor says he removed the books out of an abundance of caution. And he says he only did so after consulting with several exorcists. And since this year marks the 35th anniversary of the release of Ghostbusters, That movie will be back in theaters next month, and tickets are now on sale, which, of course, brings to mind the Fandango link at buzzburbank.com, where said tickets could be purchased. The theaters have been quiet this week as vacations end and the kids head back to school. The top movie, Angel Has Fallen, made under 12 million bucks, and it goes downhill from there. Comedian Kevin Hart is going to be just fine, according to his wife, after a spectacular car crash on Mulholland Highway in Los Angeles. The driver, a friend of Hart's who was sober, lost control of the car on a curve, apparently at elevated speed. It was a 1970 Plymouth Barracuda Hart had bought for himself on his birthday. Hart, who is 40 years old, received a significant back injury, as did his friend. They have both undergone surgery. Both are expected to recover after weeks of therapy. Passings and Passages Jesse Combs, a former host of TV's Mythbusters and considered the fastest woman on four wheels, has died in a car crash. 
The 36-year-old was in Oregon's Alvord Desert trying to break her own land speed record in a jet-powered car. That record, by the way, is 398 miles per hour. Despite efforts to save her, she was pronounced dead at the scene. Her partner says they were producing a documentary together about her career, and he says he plans to finish it as she wished. Actress Valerie Harper, Rhoda, has passed at the age of 80 after battling both lung and brain cancer. Harper won four Emmys for her best-known role, which she played for eight years on both the Mary Tyler Moore Show and her own spin-off series, Rhoda. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek says he has finished chemotherapy for his pancreatic cancer and is on the mend. With that, at age 79, Trebek has already started production on his 36th season as the show's host. It's going to be a good year, he says. Too many guns, not enough fried chicken sandwiches. As was the case at other locations, they were sold out of the new chicken sandwich at a Popeye's in Houston. This did not set well with the three men and two women who, upon hearing this unfortunate news, all jumped out of their vehicle, leaving a baby behind, and marched toward the entrance. One of the men brandished a gun because Popeye had run out of its popular new chicken sandwich. In the end, no one was hurt, but Houston police are looking for the perps. Different problem entirely at the Whataburger in Bastrop, Texas. Someone posted a video that went viral showing a mouse in the kitchen at Whataburger. Oh, and not just in the kitchen. While the employees were horrified, it was a customer who tried to catch the mouse. In its efforts to elude capture, the mouse jumped headfirst into the deep fryer. You can hear an employee say, when it's cooked, it'll float to the top. Whataburger temporarily closed the location, quote, out of an abundance of caution. It says it has called in an exterminator and is sanitizing the place. The flight from Chicago to Omaha was just about to board, and the gate attendant picked up the microphone. At this time, she said, we would like to begin boarding with any active-duty military, families traveling with children under the age of three, and horses. A horse got a seat near the front of the plane alongside its owner, Abria Hensley. A miniature white horse named Flirty is Ms. Hensley's service animal. He apparently helps her with mobility issues and somehow medical alerts. American Airlines says yes, many horses are allowed on its flights, but only if they're service animals. And if you like your own miniature horse, contact the Quakertown Shelter of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, SPCA. They have a miniature horse available for adoption. But there's a catch. This pure white six-year-old named Waffles won't go anywhere without his friend Hemingway, an all-white goose. They were rescued together from a farm where their living conditions were unacceptable. Where Waffles goes, so goes Hemingway. Does American Airlines allow geese? Is this your monkey? It was in Marshall Dillon's Dodge City, Kansas, that modern-day police found a monkey on the loose. Without many known capuchin monkey owners in the greater Dodge City area, police took the monkey to the zoo. The Wright Park Zoo said, yes, that was its monkey. The zoo says it cannot figure out how the monkey escaped. It's asking anyone with information on that to call the police. An 80-year-old woman awoke on her driveway in Hamilton, New Jersey. Her first thought was, 
where's my car? It was in the car that the woman says she had fallen asleep at around 9 p.m. and didn't awaken until 4 a.m. flat on the pavement. She has a bruise and a scrape on her face and doesn't remember a thing. Police have since found her car 20 minutes away in Trenton, but without the carjacker? Diamonds are a girl's best scam. The hand was quicker than the eye as a woman examined a diamond ring at a Costco store in Nutley, New Jersey. What the clerk didn't realize until later is that the woman had replaced that $28,000 ring with a $2,000 ring. And what police eventually learned is that the $2,000 ring had also been stolen from the other Costco in Nutley, New Jersey. And finally, 33-year-old Petra Lakeish Edgerton has been arrested by police in Duluth, Georgia, for impersonating an officer. She'd sauntered into a quick-trip convenience store wearing a badge and a gun. It got her free snacks, professional courtesy by the management for officers of the law, which is the whole reason Edgerton was posing as a cop in the first place, for the free snacks. The friend who loaned Ms. Edgerton the badge and the gun has been forced to resign her job as a probation officer. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for your support to the donate button at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.